Anticipating the unintended. Number 75. There is that old joke about outrunning the bear. Two campers are walking through a forest when they see a bear about a hundred feet away. The first camper digs into his backpack, pulls his running shoes out and starts changing into them. The other camper is puzzled. Let's run. Why are you wasting time changing shoes? You can't outrun the bear. I don't need to. The first camper replies. I just need to outrun you. Chapter 1. Atmanibar is everywhere. In corporate India these days you don't even need to outrun the competition. You just need to out Atmanibar them. It is difficult to find a single interview of any business leader these days without a reference to Atmanibar Bharat. Every company is working to be Atmanibar, including those whose business model is founded on free international trade. Exhibit A, linked on screen, Xiaomi, more Indian smartphone brand than any other. Opportunism is an addiction, you can't resist it even when you know it will harm you. Of course, going against the grain of Atmanibar has its own challenges. Ask Toyota in this article linked on screen. Yet, it is one thing to contort yourself and position all your initiatives as Atmanibar. It is quite another to use it to settle corporate scores or block competitors from entering your market. We have seen this film before. The traditional business houses pre-1991 weren't agitating for open markets, low tariff regime, and fewer government restrictions in business. Instead most used these to their advantage, kept up starts out and extend their market dominance. The price in the form of low-quality products, shortages, and black markets were borne by the ordinary customers. This mad race for Atmanir Bata again illustrates why we argue for pro-market policies, not pro-business ones. Pandering to the Atmanir Bata slogan is a way for some businesses to get an unfair advantage over others. Pro-market policies by contrast, are concerned with government actions to increase competition and to plug market failures. Therefore it is no surprise the entrenched firms of today are batting for an Atmanirbar regime. There's a strange race on, to out Atmanirbar the competition. So a Chinese phone company claims it's more local than Indian companies, 65% of components sourced locally, and starts putting a Made in India logo on its phone. Its business head for India takes a swipe at competition saying, non-Chinese foreign rivals including one US company imports all of their phones from China, and local Indian brands only relabel and sell in India. The problem with not standing up to a principle like free trade, while aligning yourself with the flavor of the season isn't too hard to comprehend. There will soon be another brand that will claim 100% local sourcing to claim greater Indianness, regardless of what it means to cost and quality for the customers. Or, the opportunism will come back and bite you in the back like this Chinese company found out when the government banned two of its popular apps that were provided as value-added services with their phones. You also have the bizarre case where the founder of a payment app company with significant Chinese investment in it claiming, it's Google Nearbar Bharat not Atmanirbar Bharat, when Google temporarily suspended the app owing to violations of its gambling policy. Not to be left behind, a competitor payment app ran an advertising campaign positioning itself as a truly Indian app in contrast to the foreign apps. Like that should make a difference to the customers. And now you have the Indian startup founders coming together to create a Bharat app store to achieve Google Mucked India. Chapter 2. It is what you make of it. Three points to consider here. First, it is good to create an alternative when you aren't happy with the incumbent. That's the right way to go about this, so long as the competition is on the basis of product features like price and quality and not on the provenance of the product. 
Second, the complaint about Google Play Store using its dominant position to dictate terms with app makers is as valid as many of these startups doing the same with their suppliers or partners. Lastly, any idea that such an app store should be partly governed by the government or a regulator is terrible and should be nipped in the bud. That's replacing an almost monopoly by a real monopoly. The government has been vague in its definition of app manierbar, but everyone has picked up the subtext. Businesses, both PSUs and private firms, are reducing their dependence on China, claiming increase in local sourcing and declaring intention to manufacture locally to support the initiative. That the gross fixed capital, GFC, formation in India has remained range-bound, and companies and promoters are investing more outside of India for much of past five years, don't seem to get in way of these claims. Nobody will anyway check for them in future. The import tariffs have been increased on a range of items in every budget over the past three years. The charitable view is we are dealing with international trade partners on our terms now. Maybe. The message going out is we are turning protectionist as we find growth hard to come. Chapter 3. Roderick's Trilemma. There are two questions we have here. First, what if there were no pandemic and no skirmishes with China at the border? Would we have still jumped onto the Atmanirbar bandwagon? Danny Roderick in his book, The Globalization Paradox, 2011, framed the trilemma confronting a country in the global economy. In particular, you begin to understand what I will call the fundamental political trilemma of the world economy. We cannot simultaneously pursue democracy, national determination, and economic globalization. If we want to push globalization further, we have to give up either the nation-state or democratic politics. If we want to maintain and deepen democracy, we have to choose between the nation-state and international economic integration. And if we want to keep the nation-state and self-determination, we have to choose between deepening democracy and deepening globalization. Our troubles have their roots in our reluctance to face up to these ineluctable choices. In the few years leading up to pandemic, it was clear India was making the choice of nation-state and self-determination along with democratic accountability. Following Roderick's trilemma, it would follow we would have to let go of deep economic globalization. The slowdown in growth because of a weak banking system, and the double blow of monetization and GST, was beginning to impact lives and livelihoods. The inability to affect second-generation structural reforms meant there were no real solutions at hand to solve for these. Therefore, the turn to Atmanirbar would have happened. The pandemic and the border standoff with China made it easy to turn it into a rallying cry. Second, would this protectionist turn by India invite negative repercussions from our trading partners? I don't think so. Globalization has been on wane since the global financial crisis. Between 1981 and 2007, the income elasticity of global trade, measured as the ratio of the average growth rate of imports of goods and services to average global GDP growth, was 1.8. That is, for every 1% of GDP growth in the world, global trade grew by 1.8%. In the last decade this has fallen below one. There has been populist backlash about the spoils of globalization accumulating to only a few in most developed nations of the world. The pandemic, its impact on the economies around the world, the concentration risks of global supply chains, and the boorish behavior of China have reinforced the risks of globalization across continents. Roderick had made his choice clear about the trilemma in his book. So we have to make some choices. Let me be clear about mine, democracy and national determination should trump hyper-globalization. Democracies have the right to protect their social arrangements, and when this right clashes with the requirements of the global economy, it is the latter that should give way. You might think that this principle would be the end of globalization. 
not so. A thin layer of international rules that leaves substantial room for maneuver by national governments is a better globalization. It can address globalization's ills while preserving its substantial economic benefits. We need smart globalization, not maximum globalization. Chapter 4. Unsmart globalization equals no globalization. Post-pandemic, it is likely this might be the prevailing consensus about globalization. While India's quest for being Atmanirbar has other reasons, it will escape censure because others might be sailing in the same boat. That doesn't take away from a point we have made in the past editions. Smart globalization sounds like a great idea but there's no real definition for it. It devolves into not-so-smart protectionism, eventually. Homework. Reading and listening recommendations on public policy matters. Links available on screen. 1. Podcast. Danny Roderick on neoliberalism and limits of globalization on Econ Talk podcast with Russ Roberts.